For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Welcome, everyone. I'm very happy to introduce tonight Alex Bernstein, who will be giving a talk. Alex uh, started sitting with us uh, a little while before the pandemic uh, at Irving Park, I don't know, two or three years, um, and had practiced long before that in the Korean tradition at Cornelia Street. So I'm very happy to have Alex giving a talk tonight. And uh, I have to say something about Douglas Floyd, who has been our director and president and board chair for about 10 years, uh, and been just a total uh, work for Ancient Dragon. At the end of this year, uh, Douglas will be stepping down from those positions, but continuing as lay and trusted teacher at Ancient Dragon Zengate. Uh, Alex Bernstein will be uh, taking you on the position of director starting at the end of the year. And uh, Wade uh, will be taking on the position of president of board chair. So thank you all. Thank you. I wanted to start with um, uh, case two from the Book of Serenity by Zhang's Wild. Uh, wild fox. Uh, this is from the Cleary translation. Every time Baizang taught, there was an old man who followed along with the congregation to hear the Dharma and left when the congregation withdrew. Unexpectedly, one day he stayed behind, so Baizang asked him, Who is the one who stands before me? The old man said, I'm not human. In the time of ancient Buddha Kasyapa, when I was dwelling here on this mountain, a student asked me if a person of great practice still falls into cause and effect or not. I replied that he does not fall into cause and effect. And consequently, I've had 500 births in the body of a wild fox. Now I'm asking you, Master, to turn a word on my behalf so that I can escape from being a wild fox. Then he asked Bezalm, does a person of great practice still fall into cause and effect or not? Baizang said, he is not deluded about cause and effect. At these words, the great man, the old man was greatly enlightened. So uh, I appreciate everyone hearing me and listening to me tonight. Um, I'm talking about an experience that I had when, um, you know, six months prior to the pandemic and, and maybe the first six months of the pandemic when I was partially the sole resident and caretaker of um, the, the Cornelia Street Temple, uh, which Tigan alluded to. Um, and it sort of being in Ebenezer reminds me of, of the building quite a bit. Um, it's very significantly haunted and uh, I'm pretty confident Ebenezer is as well. And it has sort of that sort of sprawling and, and half parts of it being half finished, you know, much uh, with construction in progress or forgotten projects. 
um, from a number of years ago, uh, all around with, with sort of secret spaces. Um, the Cornelia Temple was a uh, formerly a, a Mason, a Freemason temple, uh, you know, about the same vintage of Ebenezer. And, um, you know, it was widely held from the time I started the temple eight years ago to be haunted. Apparently they found a lot of weird ritualistic objects in the temple when I moved in and, you know, over, over tea and cookies, people would talk a lot about, you know, how rooms were disturbed and, and lights were on that shouldn't be and experiences of presence. And, uh, um, I didn't really pay it much mind because, um, it was, you know, about August of, of 2019. Uh, and after, three years of a pretty intensive training program. I just taken ordination as a uh, assistant priest. Um, and my uh, root teacher at the time, Samusunim had asked me to move into the temple uh, and become its caretaker and, and guardian and to hold the temple uh, as a place of consistent practice. Um, and the temple in its sort of heydays in the early 2000, had, it had many, many bedrooms, maybe seven or eight bedrooms, a number of kitchens, four floors. And it once had a, a really vibrant uh, practice community. But the, the, the resident teacher, the last one that had, had been maybe in the early 2000s, and the building had been pretty much uninhabited uh, since then. And... Um, you know, so I'm <laughs> the backstory, of course, I was living with uh, my partner, uh, Sabaha, who I s- still live with now at the time. And she had just within the past six months um, uh, moved uh, into my apartment with me in Lincoln Square. So she was pretty distraught that I had decided to up and, and, and move into the temple. And, um, you know, despite her protests, uh, I did it anyway. And, um, you know, Looking back at it, um, you know, I, I really had this idea about practice at the time. Um, my teacher had an expression that um, constant practice is constant awakening. Um, and, you know, I, I've always been prone to sort of anxiety. And uh, since I discovered practice, which was, you know, a breath of fresh air, um, some eight years prior to that time, um, I really thought that if, you know, that if I wanted to be, you know, a transcendent uh, a Buddha who didn't suffer, I really had to practice all the time um, and avoid what I've since learned from reading Hongxi, I think is um, we might call leaking, right? Avoid leaking um, and practice each and every moment. And so, I was, I was moving into the temple so that I would have this ideal practice situation and the idea that, I don't know, maybe some of us at times have wanted to run off and uh, live in a mountain monastery or something, something like that. Um, but, you know, I didn't have my first true experience with a, with a ghost at, at the temple until, um, you know, maybe three or four weeks later, um, there was a, a large Buddha hall, and, and there, there is in the Cornelia Temple. And each morning at 4:30, I would get up and uh, and you know walk down a flight of stairs and into the into the large hall 
uh, up the landing um, uh, before the uh, before the, the triptych of the, the Buddha and sees Tarva and um, Avalokiteshvara. And um, uh, in this particular instance, you know, sometimes people will come and, and join me for morning practice. I heard the, the door open and, uh, you know, someone came up the stairs and I heard them walk into the hall and then uh, uh, stand beside me. And I looked to my left and there was no one there. And so um, I, I bowed and began my prostrations and did my morning practice. And uh, I spoke with another temple resident, and he told me that, um, um, you know, when he lived in the temple sometime in the late 90s, that when they would make breakfast in the downstairs kitchen, um, they, could, they could hear uh, leagues of people in the upstairs Buddha hall just walking around, walking back and forth, uh, and hear the creaking of the floor. Uh, Anyway, I, I, I started getting pretty spooked uh, living there. And uh, I had this one job that was the worst, uh, which was called um, the security checks, which last thing before um, lights out, I had to walk, you know, this 10,000 square foot building and check every window and door uh, to make sure that um, uh, everything was closed. And I was they drilled it into me that this was sort of an an existential task because if you're living alone in the temple and someone, you leave a door ajar, it could have really significant consequences. So, um, you know, I, uh, in, in the temple was, uh, by this time it had gotten to be fall and the Buddha hall was shuttered, um, because it was too expensive to heat, uh, other outside of the Sunday service. And, uh, you know, I'd be walking around the temple and it was pitched, uh, black, uh, other than, you know, some illumination from the exit signs and the, the sort of the embers, the coils of the space heaters that were strategically placed to keep the pipes from freezing. And uh, just walking all these back stairwells and looking in these rooms. And of course, you know, lights were on, they shouldn't be, and doors that were closed when I had done the, uh, the checks the previous night were now open. Um, so I would say by January or February, I had, I had started to kind of fray a little bit at the, uh, at the edges, uh, of my experience. Um, but about a month later, uh, it was March 15th. I remember being at school and saying goodbye to students for what we thought was going to be, uh, a couple of weeks, um, at the outset of the pandemic. And um, the next thing you know, the, the temple was shuttered and I was um, you know, utterly alone. Not, no one was coming for services anymore. And uh, you know, I'm sure many of you remember what it was like at that time. My partner and I, we decided we couldn't be um, apart. So uh, she moved into the temple um, and my son, uh, who was 10 at the time, he started spending a lot of time at the temple as well. Uh, and it's, it's just became a delightful time. You know, the, the weather warmed um, and there was an upstairs retreat center that we cleaned out and, um, and started uh, practicing meditation up there and 
um, uh, we would play tag with my son all over the building. And as we practiced in the morning, he would, um, you know, lounge on uh, six foot high piles of futons uh, that were for retreats as he read books and listened to Spotify. And um, it, it was really delightful. And it was sort of the dawn of Zoom services. And we thought Zoom was just, Zoom was just great. Um, and uh, we were also live streaming all of our, our, our practices three times a day. Um, uh, so we were practicing about three hours at, at the time. And we started developing, you know, sort of a, a following of people from the Sangha who would attend these regularly. Um, and... Uh, we became very enthralled with this idea of, you know, um, of constant practice uh, uh, based on sort of some of the ideas of a retreat schedule. We developed a very extensive schedule for what we did every hour of every day from our three practice periods to meals, to rest, to bedtime. Um, and as we listen to people talk about, uh, their struggles with, you know, isolation and family members and loved ones becoming ill and, and dying. We preached the wisdom of the, the schedule uh, at the time. And, um, and people, you know, newly sort of unleashed with their sourdough starters uh, brought us um, all these uh, care packages and, um, uh, and homemade hummus. And it was... It was wonderful. Um, and I don't know, I thought uh, maybe we wait till we show a couple of pictures from, from the temple at that time. Uh, so we love going up on the temple roof. Um, and that, uh, uh, that's looking, uh, to the east, um, uh, towards downtown and, and Lake Michigan, the Southeast of the, of the building. And we spent a lot of time up there. And that's us on the temple roof. That's my partner, Sabaha and, uh, and my son. Uh, that's our little practice space upstairs and, um, it was very cozy and we took a lot of naps up there as well. And, uh, this is sort of what you can see our live stream set up there. We, we, uh, decorated the hall for Buddha's birthday in March. And there's my partner. She's stringing the lights on, on one of the uh, meditation platforms that were used during, uh, during the retreats. Thanks. Rick. Um, so everything was great. The world was in flames and we were in paradise. Uh, and then um, on May 25th in uh, 2020, uh, George Floyd was murdered uh, and the world exploded and sort of anguish and, and despair and violence. Um, and this part's harder for me. I'm going to read a little bit of what I wrote in my recollection of this, but um, of this time. So um, 
up and down Lincoln Avenue, which was adjacent to the temple, a number of businesses had had their storefronts broken into. And within days, all the neighboring businesses have been boarded up. A Sangha member who lived a block from the temple reported that a neighbor wisely had retained an armed off-duty Chicago police officer to guard her home. Suddenly, our sanctuary felt vulnerable, and we were afraid. Or you felt afraid, Sabaha says, as I read with these lines. Um, we contemplated leaving or boarding up the temple entrance itself. In the end, I did nothing and waited for the moment to pass. About the same time, we began to have significant disagreements with members of the leadership of the temple who lived elsewhere and, uh, and seemed far removed from our day-to-day experiences in the building. We were changing and the world was changing, and yet we felt great pressure to keep everything the same. We wondered if the Buddhist leaders that we so admired were unable to look at their own ghosts. How could we be expected to do the same? This began to impact my practice and my mind once Serene became preoccupied. Maybe you guys don't feel it. As I sat in meditation, I had recurring thought loops, self-righteous indignation, as well as shame for feeling unable to regulate my emotions. After all, a Buddha would not be impacted by such small-mindedness. What did this say about me as a practitioner? even became unable to perform the nightly safety checks as the demons were proliferating. Uh, As this wore on for a number of weeks, I found that my original faith, the faith that practice would transform me, was rapidly disintegrating. As June faded into July, the, the temple itself began to revolt against our occupancy. It grew exceedingly hot on the fourth floor where we lived, and the temperatures often soared into the triple digits, even at night, making it impossible to sleep. Our water heater, which was in the teacher apartment below, would often blow out, belching smoke and ash all over the small kitchen. I said small prayers to myself as I blindly outstretched tall kitchen matches, trying to relight the awkwardly placed pilot light. Uh, One day, as we ate lunch, a large metal exhaust pipe detached from the side of the building and fell rapidly past our window, crashing loudly to the alley below. Uh, There was a temple uh, volunteer who was uh, sort of the the volunteer maintenance person for the building, and uh, we asked him about repairing the the stovepipe, and uh, his response was he suggested that we check to make sure uh, our carbon monoxide detectors were fully functional and had working batteries. So, uh, and the front and side gardens of the temple uh, became overrun by rats. And the back garden, which for years we had carefully cultivated with compost and it had prized tomatoes, it was reduced to a series of holes and loose dirts. And the beautiful side garden that had these intricate pavers uh, arranged, uh, I, I would walk out there to bait and it would collapse under my feet, having been hollowed out by rodents. But the worst was the, the storms. Um, since I could remember, any, the, any rain at the temple would cause mild panic, um, as it would rest and necessitate running around to the various floors to make sure that we had placed the blue circular foot washing bins under the various leaks and drips. This season, the rain came heavier and more frequently. 
the roof over the downstairs bathroom, which was an amateur install, like everything there from Temple Volunteers 30 years prior, um, developed a really bad drainage problem. And um, uh, we would wake up at, at midnight and uh, run screaming to the bathroom. There'd be three inches of water and, and desperately trying to mop it up. Uh, for those of us who have uh, own homes in Chicago and have basements, you probably know the, the feeling. Um, and, uh, you know, it got so bad that I could hardly sleep if there was any rain uh, in the forecast. And by, by mid-July, I told Sabaha that I wanted to move out of the temple. And I emailed the Sangha to let him know I would be taking a leave of absence. Uh, on Saturday, August 9th, almost a year to the day, when we moved in the temple, we fled, packed all our belongings into the U-Haul, parked on West Cornelia, and moved back to our apartment on the northwest side of Chicago. Uh, but as, as you guys probably uh, suspected, um, uh, the, the ghosts traveled with me. And uh, I felt like I was just completely haunted. My thoughts were a recurring loop of recriminations and victim narratives and feeling that I was a failure. And this is sort of just the common thought loop that um, all of my other experiences in my life were, were superimposed on. Um, uh, and the, the emotions were uh, so strong that uh, I wasn't able, for the first time in, in eight years, I wasn't able to practice. Um, you know, I wasn't, certainly wasn't a Buddhist teacher anymore. I didn't have a Sangha. Um, and I didn't even know if I was, would consider myself Buddhist anymore. So I had a, a couple of really difficult months sort of uh, twisting uh, a bit. And then I, I reached out um, to Tigan, uh, who I developed a relationship with through Buddhist Peace Fellowship and, and through sitting occasionally at, at the Irving Park uh, Temple some years prior. And, um, uh, you know, after a couple of conversations, uh, he agreed to work with me as my teacher. And, um, you know, he had, uh, I had told him about my experience and uh, he told me about the, the practice of uh, Shikantaza. Um, and that was very different than the practice I'd had at the Korean temple, which was called Kwatu, Wadu practice, which was sort of uh, where you have like Kongan practice where you work with a, with a question. Um, and uh, through my talks with Taigen, you know, I began reading Dogen and and, um, and Dongshan. And, um, uh, you know, now uh, here we are a couple years later and um, I've been able to just have a couple of reflections about my experience and, you know, I appreciate what Taigen has said about how, how things were in the old days of Zen where, you know, you would sort of be at one temple with, with one teacher and I wouldn't be working for you and you'd kind of fall down the mountain and, and, and uh, go on to the, to the next uh, to see if maybe they were better uh, suited for your capacity. Um, and 
through through that, uh, you know, I started thinking about ghosts and and karma um, based on um, some of the things that um, I was learning and that Tygen was telling me. I have like six pages of this, but I'm going to stick with one or two because we only have so much time. Um, and the first thing um, that I started thinking about was that, um, you know, how I'd been instrumentalized and practiced and how that had been uh, damaging, you know, this, this, and I think it's pretty common since we're in a capitalistic culture that um, we see uh, practice or we, we can see practice as a means to an end um, to, you know, overcome suffering or become enlightened or to become a Buddha. Um, and, uh, you know, the shift in focus to, uh, well, I guess what Dogen would call taking the, the backward step and uh, seeing practice as a, a reflection of my innate Buddhahood rather than as a way to attain or achieve anything uh, has been a really important, uh, subtle uh, shift for me. And then um, the second thing is uh, Tayan uh, talks quite a bit about uh, karma. And uh, karma is, uh, is not being individual, but um, cultural and historical and environmental karma and the karma of racism. Um, and uh, what's more, if we try and uh, address karma in isolation, or for me, or as a, as a um, isolated from the karma of everyone else, it can really um, be an alienating experience. And uh, Tygen wrote in, um, in his essay that's a, a Buddhist response to the climate crisis called Now the Whole Planet Has Its Head on, head on Fire, he writes... Inflation of the effects of individual karma and lack of acknowledgement of collective karma ignore the basic Buddhist teachings of non-self and interconnectedness. Um, so, you know, obviously I'm not cured so, uh, so much, and I'm still <laughs> haunted a lot of the time, um, and I still sit with ghosts. And um, on, on August... Uh, six of this year, uh, Sam Sunim, who is my original teacher, uh, passed away, and, and now I at times sit with his ghost too. Um, and I, just, I, I sit with ghosts here at Ebenezer as well. Um, and you know, I would say that we nod in appreciation to each other, and and um, that we each continue our own rituals, but. Uh, I'm not like inclined to write poetry, sorry, but um, I uh, it's appreciation to this sangha and to Tigan, and I think it's an apology to my partner who I abandoned when I moved into the the temple. Um, you know, uh, Tigan said something yesterday that stuck with me, which he said that um, um, delusions are precious. I believe, um, you know. And even though they're not real, um, I think some soon would have said, you know, samsara is nirvana, nirvana, samsara. But anyway.
10,000 flowers in the sky. I pick one and press it smartly between these thin white pages. So I never forget your cool hand, the dragonfly's path. Even Maitreya knows everything has its time and its place. As for me, 500 lives of fox. So let's thank you so much for sharing such a personal and beautiful story. Um, I wondered how you negotiated your shift from working with Samu Sunim as your primary teacher to working with Tayan. Um, well, you know, we talk, we, I'm, I'm going to try and be very honest, even though it's difficult. Um, you know, I think that from moving from a uh, from an Asian teacher uh, to an American one, um, I had to um, address some of my own propensity to exoticize um, uh, an Asian uh, teacher, and you know, um, uh, Sunim felt sort of very esoteric and and mysterious uh, to me. And um, Tygen, in contrast, uh, was, I found him to be straightforward and kind. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, at times it's, it's, it's been uh, strange. Yeah, I don't know if that is helpful. I wondered if you discussed with the Sangha and with Sunim, and how that all worked out in terms of um, leaving the teacher and uh, connecting to another teacher. Well, uh, uh, it was for the Sangha and for you and Sunim. Thank you. Yeah. Sunim had, by the, by the end of my time at the, the temple, he had become uh, quite ill with mm. Parkinson's. Mm. Um, and, and he wasn't really available to me as a, as a teacher. Mm. And when I began working with Tygen, um, uh, Tygen uh, was able to reach out to the person he knows from the organization I was in, and they sort of discussed mm -hmm. uh, my transition over from, uh, from the Korean Stone Temple to mm. Ancient Dragon. I, I also was really touched by your narrative of this year in your life and, um, you know, could just relate to so many different experiences. I think that, um, but, I, but I, I, think, I think that everybody sits with ghosts. But I think I felt very sad to hear how many ghosts you were sitting with and how few live humans. <laughs> and... Um, 
I hope that I think I, I just hope that you find a ratio there between ghosts and live humans um, that that feels more sustaining for you. That it seems like you 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 were carrying a lot. Um, yeah, I, I, that's thank you for that. Um, yeah, I think um, I I don't feel that way now, but. Uh, I think that for many of us, the the pandemic was a very traumatic time and a time of uh, profound disconnectedness and um, and isolation. Um, and uh, I know that this sando was not able to sit together at that time, except during Zoom. So I think that. Um, I, I won't speak for anyone else, but I still feel like I'm I'm coming back from that that um, profound sense of being isolated, and um, I think that uh, this sangha has been such an important part of that that process. Thank you very much, Alex. Uh, you're talking about sitting with ghosts. I think is interesting and helpful. I think all of us, in some way or other, at different times, are sitting with the ghosts of everybody we've known and people who've passed and people who we haven't seen in a while. And you know, our being is filled with many spirits of all different kinds and to acknowledge that and to find uh, to navigate our way to just be ourselves in the middle of that is, is a lifelong process and I uh, congratulate you on getting here and please uh, be kind to yourself Other comments or responses or questions, please feel free. Ed has his hand up on my <clears throat> Oh, th thanks. Thanks, Alex, for, uh, for your story. You know, I, I, the word that comes to mind that occurs to me is this, this, this theme of, of ruin, ruin in contrast to, um, to vibrancy or to life. And I'm curious if that was if and you talk about the you talk about the garden, you talk about the building, you talk about the culture and how it evolved in, from a state of of what's the of um, prosperousness to to a state of ruin. And is that is that uh, might you characterize that further? Or do you have any other thoughts on that sensation at all? Um, Thank you. Yeah, I think um, I think first of all, I, I just want to be clear that I think the Korean Sun practice is a very vibrant one, and um, that many many wonderful teachers and practitioners that I met 
Um, and, and while I, I don't think I exaggerated for narrative effect, I think the story is more about um, the personal consequences of attending only to my own karma and not um, being connected um, and the elements of decay, um, whether it was the, the, the hot weather that, uh, that drove us or, or the flooding from torrential rains um, um, or the, the, some of the outcry of anguish after the George, George Floyd verdict um, were hard reminders that um, you can't or I could not just put my head in the sand and, and practice. Two things come up for me. Um, I want to thank you for honesty just now and saying that if we just keep on looking inward, without any connections outward, we wind up, in a sense, self-destructing. The whole thing about it is to be connected. Um, so that was very interesting. Thank you for that. But I'm also puzzled, in, in a certain sense, um, when Ed was talking, reminding me that everything is impermanent. So the temple was impermanent. It was falling all around you. And while it was falling around you, did you have that sense of everything was impermanent or more of trying to hold it all together? It sounded like you were trying to hold it all together. Yeah, um, I guess feeling torn, like it was my responsibility to hold it together. And, um, and I think, as I said, I felt... I felt like tremendous pressure to keep everything the same. Um, um, and, and yeah, to hold, to hold on to something when the world was so obviously changing so rapidly around us at that time. I, I think everyone felt how the, the weight of, of what was happening at that, at that time. Yeah. I know for myself as a gardener, you know, when I had a garden, my marriage was falling apart. And I was just trying to keep the garden as good as I can. Because that was my, uh, my linchpin, so to speak, that I was hanging on to. And, you know, because everything else around me was falling apart. So, so I, you know, I wonder, looking, sometimes I would look at the garden and say, oh, just, just let it go. <laughs> you know? So I, I very much identify with what, what you just said. Thank you. You know, I think that this is also a nice story for us as we're trying to find our temple home. I've been, of course, to Cornelia, and I knew people very well who were involved with the sort of initial push to take care of that building and 
you know, the Sangha was mobilized to do a lot of manual labor, but it's a huge building. And in some ways, there's a sense of having a vision for a home for practice, but then also to really think about sustainability of the Sangha, to leave you alone there could feel really like important and great for a while, but also like you were sort of abandoned there, you know, and and that was a feeling I get, you know, and I feel like as we're moving forward, you know, you have some lessons for us, but also encouragement for us to bring our Sangha energy to where our new homes will be. So I appreciate that story. It's sort of a cautionary tale in some ways, not to abandon each other. Joe has his hand up. Uh, yes, Alex. Nice to meet you. I don't think I've heard uh, uh, any of your uh, any of your talk so far, but I, I'm uh, very impressed with what you had to say, and I'm, I'm impressed with your uh, experience. And we might talk about adversity. We might talk about uh, decay. Uh, we might ruminate uh, uh, on, on on that uh, facet of human experience, but I think it's remarkable uh, that in, in the face of uh, uh, shattering uh, global experience, that, that that you kept the uh, the temple together, you you kept the uh, sangha together, uh, you kept the karma together, you kept the dharma together, and uh, that's um, uh, that's remarkable. A lot of uh, a lot of institutions fell by the wayside these last couple of years, and, and you you kept the faith and uh and you and you you, uh, you you did the work and and uh i don't know what your relationship is with the the emotion of pride but uh i would certainly suggest that you have reason to be proud of what you accomplished well if, if my partner and my son had moved in 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 march i I, I don't think I would have made it to April, to be, to be honest, but thank you. Maybe we have time for one more comment or response. Mine's pretty short, um, but just to say thank you for your talk. Um, thank you for your honesty. Um, thank you for doing what you did, um, and thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Uh, maybe we should close with the four forty stuff with us.